If you will, take your Bible and find your place in Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19, we're going to begin reading our scripture today. I'm going to kind of flip the script on you a little bit. I usually do an intro and then we jump into uh, our text that we'll be in. But this morning I want us to begin by looking at the scripture. Then I'm going to kind of explain what is happening here at this point in the story of Israel. And then we'll talk about how it relates to us and uh, our church at this time and season of, of our uh, history. Exodus 19, verse 18. The Bible says, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. The whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. Flip over, if you will, to chapter 35 and I want us to look at several verses there in chapter 35 and then the first seven verses in chapter 36. Chapter 35, verse 4 says this, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, Blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and, and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and stones for setting and for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Look down. Well, let's read verse 10. Then we're going to move down to verse 20. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. Verse 20. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all of its service, and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects. Every man dedicated an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ram skin or goat skins brought them. Everyone who, who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood and any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with their hands and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. Look now at verse, or chapter 36, verse one, Bezael and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. 
And Moses called Bezael and Oholiab, and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning, so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, The people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of, for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material that they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. And every preacher said, Amen. You know, as you think about Israel's story and how they were brought they exited Egypt, brought out of Egypt. When you think about the Exodus account, it is a glorious story. You think about how God rescued his people in such marvelous and miraculous and powerful ways from the most powerful kingdom on the earth at that time. No one was greater than Pharaoh of Egypt. No one had an army that could defeat Pharaoh's army from Egypt. No one could resist his will. That is... No one but the Lord could resist his will. We know from the story here in the Exodus that God is the one who delivered his people. God is the one who delivered them from the bondage that they had been in for 400 years. We know the story. We know that after those 400 years and toward the end of those 400 years, God's people began to cry out, began to call upon the Lord, deliver us. Bring us a savior. Rescue us from our enslavement. Rescue us from the, the, the difficult and terrible things we're enduring. God, the Bible says, heard their cry. And he called Moses. The burning, bull, the burning bush account there is God coming down and speaking with Moses and calling to him. He demonstrates his power before Moses and sends him back to Egypt to demonstrate his power over Pharaoh as well as the pagan idols of Egypt. God used Moses to rescue and bring Israel out from their captivity, and he did it with a mighty hand. You know the story of the ten plagues and how those plagues uh, increased in severity each time, culminating in the tenth plague where the firstborn of every family was killed. And so after 400 years, God's people came out of Egypt and were brought into the promised land. But when you live in a place for 400 years, it can't help but have the culture of the land rub off on you. And that was true of Israel. Israel comes out of Egypt, but Egypt doesn't necessarily come out of them. And God understood this reality. He understood the gravitational pull of the culture and the paganism that Egypt would have and was having in their lives. And so when God brought the Hebrews out of Egypt, he had to do something to break the gravitational pull back into paganism. And he did two things. First, God taught them to listen to the voice of his word. They had not known the voice of God. They had not known the word of God. They only knew paganism. They only knew the gods of Egypt. They only knew the religious structure of Egypt. And so God here, when he descends in chapter 9 on Mount Sinai, when he descends in smoke and fire and, and the ground is quaking because of his power and his majesty, God in that moment was calling Moses and Aaron to come up, telling the people to stay down. But in all of that, 
His voice was heard. The Bible tells us that the people heard it like a trumpet and like thunder. God was teaching them to hear and to heed his voice. But the second thing he had to do was give them worship. Remember, they're coming out of paganism. All they know is the the worship of pagans there in Egypt. And so now God is going to give them worship. And that's what chapter 35 and 36 and following is already all about. He set it up with Moses on the Mount Sinai when he gave the commandments, when he gave the law. Now Moses is reiterating. He's teaching them these things. He's giving them worship. God has always called his people to a place of worship. We read it in the Old Testament. What we see here is the tabernacle where the people of God came to the tent and they would meet with God. Later that would be replaced by the temple as God people built that sanctuary, built that tabernacle by brick and mortar. And it was a place where God met with his people. We see it in the synagogue. We even see it in the New Testament as the church gathers together. God's place of worship is with the church. So God was going to use these two things to break this gravitational pull of paganism. God's word and worship are the same two things that are going to set us free from the paganism of our day. Solomon was right when he said there's nothing new under the sun. And so the paganism of of Israel's day is the same paganism of our day. It just looks a little different. So if you've not yet figured it out, You need to know that left to ourselves, like Israel, we will naturally gravitate away from the Lord. We will never gravitate to the Lord. Have you ever figured that out? You don't fall into righteousness. You don't fall into holiness. You don't just naturally gravitate and move toward things that please and honor God. No, in our flesh, we are always Strain. We're always moving in the wrong direction. We're always being pulled to that which does not honor the Lord. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 speaks of this, talks about how we need to, to, to lean in more. We need to, to put our things under, ourselves under the word of God and gather with the church because of this natural pull away from the Lord. This is what's already happening. Here's we come to chapter 35 of Exodus. It's already happening just a few months out of Egypt. It's already happening that they're being drawn away and straying from the Lord. They've already heard the word of God. Remember, they've sat under Mount Sinai. They heard the thunders. They saw the, 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 the smoke up there, the fire up there. They felt the earthquakes and all of that was going on. It was God speaking to Moses. And yet, what are they doing down in the valley? Not to mention the fact that they had just experienced God's miraculous power as he he, he destroyed the idols of Egypt, killed the idols of Egypt, demonstrated his power over them. What are they doing in the valley? The Bible tells us that they're fashioning a calf in the form of the goddess of Egypt. They're already moving back to the paganism of their foreign land, former land. So the Hebrews did not listen to the word the first time. But what we read here in chapter 35 and 36 is that now they're going to listen. Now they're going to pay attention to the word of God and they're going to get their worship right. Their hearts had not been stirred initially. But now as we've already read in the text, their hearts are being moved. Their hearts are being stirred. They're moving toward the Lord and toward the Lord's worship. God's vision for their lives is coming into focus. Vision's important, is it not? 
you wear glasses or contacts like I do, if you don't put those things on your eyes or on your nose, vision is basically not going to happen in your life. You're going to drive around blind. You're going to drive around and hit the, some things, right? Vision is important. In fact, as I stood up here and began to read the text, I realized I left my readers down there like I do almost every Sunday, and I'm struggling to read the text. So if I hold it out here, just understand I'm over 40, okay? That's the way it is. Vision is important. We could define vision like this. It's the faculty or state of being able to see. Good vision allows you to see things crisply and clearly. Vision, in other words, ensures that your day has the propensity to be productive. If you can see it, you most likely can do it. It does not guarantee productivity, but it does pave the way for productivity. This vision for God's people comes through the Word of God. How, how are we to know what we're to do? How are we to know as God's people how we're to live our lives, how our worship is going to honor and, and, and bless His name? It's because we've seen the vision that comes through the Word of God. It comes through what God has said to us. So we dare not forsake the regular reading of the Bible. I love the fact that over the last few years, as we've emphasized reading through the Bible in a year, so many people coming up saying, Pastor, thank you for that. Thank you for, for encouraging me and challenging me. I've never read the Bible through. Maybe I've never read the Bible consistently, but because of that, I'm doing it. And I'm learning and I'm growing. We should never forsake the regular reading of the Word of God. At the same time, we should not forsake the regular setting under the teaching of the Bible. That's why you're here this morning. You need to set under the teaching of the Word of God. You need to be in a small group to set under the teaching of the Word of God. Uh, I would encourage you to, outside of Sundays, set under the teaching of the Word of God. We need that. That's how we get vision for how we're to live our lives, how we're to honor the Lord. At the same time... We dare not forsake the regular gathering with the church for worship. Why is this such a big deal for us as Christians? Well, it's through these activities that our hearts are stirred. It's through these activities that we are moved toward God and away from worldly things. Remember what we just said. Our natural tendency is to stray from the Lord. So we need to put ourselves under the teaching, put ourselves in worship with other believers so it's pulling us back in to the Lord so we can see with eyes that can understand and recognize the word of God and what God has for us. And so it's through these that we take on God's character, the character of our Savior. What is God's character like? It's many things, but for the sake of time and specifically what's in our text this morning, one of the great characteristics of our God is that he is a giver. What, what does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he took, for God so loved the world that he snatched it away. No, God is a giver. That's what he is. That's who he is. And we see that characteristic right here in these chapters, that of God being a giver. And so what does this mean for us? Today we're beginning a three-part series. You can see it there on the screen. We're calling it Vision 2024. We're talking about what the next three years looks like for us as a church. And this is not something new. I went back this week, I began to rehash and look at old messages where we cast vision for what we believe the Lord wanted to do right here in and through Red Lane Baptist Church. And I found April 3rd, 2016, where I first preached a message called Vision Venture. I'm going to use that language this morning quite a bit. 
But I talked about this vision venture. In other words, when we begin to see what God would have us to do, we are drawn and we want to get in the venture. We want to go on the journey with him. So we began to lay that out in that message. I preached that same message uh, four different times over those two years, adding a little bit each time to what we believe the vision was looking like. And when we talk about this sort of vision, we talk about God's people uh, looking through the lens of the Lord, something we need to understand about that. Prophetic vision always produces two things in our lives. Number one, it's going pr- to uh, uh, produce redemptive passion. And then number two, it's going to produce a responsive action. Redemptive passion. We want to see people saved. We want to see people discipled. We want to see churches planted. We want to see missionaries sent. We want to see the gospel spreading, the kingdom of God expanding. When we have the vision of God for our lives and for our church, redemptive passion is going to be there. And then secondly, responsive action. We want to be involved. We're going to love what God loves. We're going to engage in what he is doing. And so I preach that four different times over two years, adding a little bit more to that vision, a little bit more clarity. What does this look like? What's this going to look like? What what ought it be? And so we talked about our worship style. You know, back in 2016, this time, I've been pastor here for six months. We began to lay this out. We went from two worship services where we had traditional and contemporary services, mainly because of preference, not because we needed the space. We changed all that, and, and anytime you change something in human life in general, but in a Baptist church specifically, there's a little bit of, is this going to blow up in our face, that sort of thing. And so there was uneasiness. We're trying to figure out who we are. And I said, just keep hanging on. This is who we're going to be. We're a multi-generational church. We're going to have worship that's blended. And that has come to fruition. We talked about the primacy of preaching. When we gather here in this moment, in this hour, on this day of the week, we're here to set under the word of God. It's not because I've got an ego. I probably have somewhat of an ego because I'm human. But if you know me personally, I would much rather sit on the pew than stand up here. But I've been called to do this. And preaching is what the church is all about. It's how we make disciples. And so we talked about preaching and teaching. It's going to be the primacy of what we do. We discussed and committed uh, ourselves to making missions a passion in this church. We'd always been a missions church, quote unquote. We had sent missionaries. We had done certain things. We had begun to send teams over the last uh, 10, 15, maybe 20 years. But largely, looking at what we were doing, we're a missions-giving church. We give tremendous amount of money for our size of church to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering and the Easter, Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Those are incredible things. We can do more than that. We want to send people. We want people to be raised up out of our congregation and sent to the nations. We want to reach our community. We talked about discipleship being our identity. We're making disciples, and in all of that, expecting growth. We're not a small town or a small country church back on the backside of nowhere. Number one, Powhatan is growing. Powhatan is, is, is a tremendous place to live. People want to come here. And so as a church, we can try to be that church that is just kind of us for and no more. We're just going to live within the four walls of our church. That's not what God's called us to do. And, and so we want to expect growth. You look around this room today, and the complexion of this church looks a whole lot different than it did five years ago. There's a lot of reasons for that. There's natural attrition. There's been people who've passed away. There's been people who've moved in this area. We've reached them. They've been discipled. They're growing, and more people are coming all of the time. 
So as we began to see God's vision for us, I laid out a timeline for doing these things. We began to plan the renovation of our campus. We, this year, completed the building back behind us. Right after Christmas, we will start on this room, this whole floor, renovating it as we have planned. We talked about expanding our church planning. We've been involved in that over the last few years. We talked about engaging unreached people groups around the world. We've been involved in that in Barcelona and other places. We've talked about and creatively serving our community, and we've done some incredible things to do that through our festivals and things of that nature. As we talk about vision, we understand that it always forces the crisis of decision. There were people five, six years ago who heard all of this and probably said in their heart of hearts, we can never do that. There's this crisis of decision. We're forced with a decision. Will we shrink back in fear of the unknown, or will we take a bold step forward in faith, trusting God's word? Fear leads to disbelief. Fear leads to rebellion. We can look at the track record of Israel and say, that is exactly what happened in their lives. But faith leads to blessing and more faith. Thankfully, we can also look at the track record of Israel and say, they did it. They trusted the Lord and God blessed them, and God gave them more faith, trust. I'm thankful for us as a church that we stepped out in faith. Ultimately, that vision begot the venture of what we called New Day, a capital campaign that will culminate next Sunday, three-year capital campaign to largely fund what we're looking to do as far as renovation. In the fall of 2018, the members and the regular attenders of this church pledged I saw on the bulletin just a little bit ago, nearly $728,000 over three years, over and above the budget giving, your normal tithes and offerings. And let's be honest, those of you who were around back then, there was uneasiness at the size of the project. I remember personally wrestling with this, meeting with our elders and wrestling with the size. We knew it had to be done. We knew it needed to be that size. We knew it needed to be larger than that. And yet at the same time, here's a church that usually about a, has about a half million to $600,000 annually given to our budget, through our budget, and then we have mission givens on top of that. And so all in all, we're probably six to 650 in giving through our church, and we're asking our people to give on top of that another $250,000 annually for the next three years. That's big time stuff. So some said it couldn't be done. Some, even because of the scope, because of all of that, couldn't go on the journey with us. That always happens in that crisis of belief. And yet the majority of us said, we're not going to fear. We, we don't know how this is going to happen, but we believe the Lord's calling us to do this. And so as a church, we embrace New Day. And over these three years, our faith in the vision God birthed in our hearts has brought blessings and faith that we never could have dreamed of before. Our theme verse for that was Habakkuk 1.5, that God was doing something in our midst that if he told us, we wouldn't believe it. Is that not what's happened over the last three years? Is that not what's happened over the last three years? Y'all... You've already tuned me out. I know some of your guests for the first time, you're like, good night. I came to the church. The first Sunday I'm here, the dude's already talking about money. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. We're not really talking about money today. I promise. It'll get to that, but I'm not today. I'll share more about that in a minute. God's been good to us. That's what I want you to see this morning. God has been good to us. 
We're not the same church we were in 2018. We don't have the same hearts that we had in 2018. I'm not disparaging anything about 2018. I'm just saying we put our yes on the table, and when we do that, God says, takes us to heights and depths we've never known before. He's given us the ability to trust him with more. He's given us the ability to step up and say, you know, three years ago, I was really hesitant, but now I've seen the faithfulness of God in a way I've never done and never known before, and so I'm willing now to trust him with another thing. We're not the church we were in 2018. Bless God, we won't be the same church in 2024 as we are today as we keep growing and trusting and believing God. So what we're calling Vision 2024 is just simply a new phase in this venture God has us traveling. We want to be a church that reaches our community. I believe we're a church that does reach our community. We want to be a church that impacts our nation. We want to be a church that continues to touch the nations with the gospel. And for that reason, Vision 2024 is about enriching our ministry offerings. This this is the language we're using. We want to enrich our ministry offerings, the things that we offer to people, the ministries that we have. We want to expand our Acts 1-8 strategy and do more in church planning and missions. We want to continue to enhance our campus and establish greater margin in the budget for future ministry. So over the next three Sundays, what we're going to be doing is sharing with you what we believe is God's vision for this church through the next three years. And it all boils down to our hearts, not money. Heart. So we read through Exodus 35 and 36 a while ago. I don't know if you caught it, but six different times the Bible tells us that their hearts were moved. Their hearts were stirred. They did what they did, not because they were compelled to do it, because they were told and commanded by Moses. They did what they did because their hearts were moved by the Spirit of God, under the Word of God, and they simply wanted to act. So let's get back to Exodus here. As the Lord gives the Hebrews his word, as the Lord gives them worship, the goal is for them to lose their affinity with the paganism of Egypt. It's for them to take on the characteristics of God. They want to lose that old life and put on this new life. This first aspect of this transition we see is that of giving. Verse 30, or chapter 35, verse 5 tells us, he says, take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Give something to the Lord. They're to take on this characteristic of being a giver. Now, I do understand. I joked a little bit earlier about if you're a guest and you're here for the first time and you're thinking, man, I came at the wrong time. This is just terrible. Uh, why, why is he talking about money? Maybe you're a regular attender and you're like, this all this guy ever talks about. Well, you're not being true because that's not true. Uh, I don't talk about it a lot. There's, in fact, some church consultants would, which would tell me if they were to come in here and be like, you really shouldn't talk about money so much. In fact, you should probably never touch it because it makes people feel uncomfortable. We don't want people to feel uncomfortable. We want them to kind of come slide in and and don't feel threatened or anything like that. Show me that in the Bible, first of all. Anytime I've ever said under the word of God, whether it's me personally reading it through devotion, setting under the preaching of or teaching of someone else, or me even studying and preaching myself, it always brings conviction upon my life. I was told not just not long ago, a week or so ago, somebody's been, a family's been visiting our church, and one of the things they said to me was, man, we've never set, for a long time, we've not set in a church where we really felt the conviction of God. I took that as a compliment. 
Not that I'm coming out and just want to like, put steel-toed boots on and just nail you in the shins all morning. That's not my goal. I never intend those things. I just want to faithfully exposit the Word of God. I just want to live from the text what's there, bring application, and, and say, let the Spirit of God now l- f- unfold that in your life. That's what we're here to do. And so as I talk about this stuff over the next three weeks, I do so because it's what's needed in our life. God is a giver. We want to be givers as well. I say it often. It's not my original thought. It's the thought of Johnny Hunt, who was here just a few weeks ago. But you're never more like Jesus than when you're giving. Keep that in mind. So as we talk about money, we're not really even talking about it today, but as we will, I want you to just understand that the Bible says a whole lot about it. Therefore, we need to say a whole lot about it as we gather together. We would be foolish not to preach and teach on giving uh, there's a couple things that we need to understand about giving. First of all, it's not just about money. We're to steward and give from all that God has entrusted to us. Well, what, is, what else has God given us except for money? He's given you time. How many, how many of us misuse our time? We don't give that back to the Lord. We're not entrusting him with our time. But it's not just your time, it's your talent. You've all got talents and skills. You've got a spiritual gift. We're to give that back in service to the Lord and to other people. And then, yes, there's the treasure that God gives us. We're to honor him with the first and the best. All of that is part of our stewardship. But secondly, when we talk about this, giving has everything to do with our hearts. As we read through these verses here in Exodus 35 and 36, I said it earlier, but six different times God mentions not money, He mentions their heart. They give because their heart has been stirred. Our God is a giver. So as we said under the teaching of his word, as we engage in worship, we will supernaturally become givers ourselves. This takes place as our hearts are stirred by the spirit of God. And this morning, I'm going to share with you just four quick ways we are moved to give when our hearts are stirred by vision. Number one, these are in your bulletin. When your heart is stirred by vision, you will give generously. Again, 35 verse 5 gives us a clear picture of what this looks like. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord, whoever is of a generous heart. That's how the ESV translates the Hebrew. The first thing we typically think about when it comes to giving is what? What do you think about when it's giving? You think about the amount. Oh, man, what is he going to ask of us now? We just had three years of a capital campaign. You know, I'm stretched to the limit. What is he going to give us or call us to now? What's the amount, Pastor? That's really what you want to know. And I'm not giving it to you today. Just not. I refuse to give it to you today. Come on the Sunday evening, the 21st, we'll give you the full full, uh, breakdown of everything. But it's not important that we talk about right now. What's the second question we usually think along, or or maybe it's a statement rather, when we think about that? Here's what I think it is. I don't know if I can do that. That amounts too much. I don't know if I can go that direction. I don't know if I can do that. You may even say, I don't want to do that. Earlier I mentioned giving your first and your best. The Bible would describe that as your tithe. Hebrew word that is translated tithe, this simply means 10%. 10%. It's a tenth of something. And what we see in the Old Testament is that the tithe for the Jew was to be given first. The first 10% was to go to the Lord. Why? It's because it represented the whole. It also represented your best. It wasn't your leftovers. 
God really uh, condemned and, and rebuked the people of God through the prophet Malachi who were given leftovers. He's like, why don't you go and give that to your governor and see how well that would go over. No, you don't give your leftovers, you give your best. When you invite some over to your house, you don't put out your junk, you put out your fine china, unless you're inviting me over, and I don't care. I just, give me the food, let's go, right? I'm focused on the food. I, you got too many utensils on the table, I get confused. Do I use this fork or that fork? You know, give me, I'm just kidding. I'm a little bit more sophisticated than that. But we oftentimes think, man, we can't, and yet the Lord is saying, you can. Tithing is biblical stewardship 101. It's entry-level giving. I, I say this often. It's interesting, though, that as we read through these chapters, the tithe, you don't see it there. It's not mentioned. That's not the focus of this. Number one, it's not about the tithe. It was an offering. But really, what it's about is the heart. The heart is mentioned over and over again. See, giving is a matter of the heart. Moses instructed the Hebrews to give generously as the Lord, what? Moved their hearts. As the Lord stirred them, as the Lord moved them. This is not a matter of compulsion. Moses is not coming and stomping his foot and saying, you better give a certain amount. No, he says, as the Lord is moving upon you, give. Give generously. Give a contribution to the Lord and his tabernacle. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of generosity. It's a matter of, of, what the, of the overflow that is flowing out of your heart. Our God is a giver, and as believers being conformed more and more into the image of Christ, what happens is his generosity becomes our generosity. His vision begets the venture of generosity. Second thing I want you to see here is where hearts are stirred from, through vision, we give graciously. Again, verse 35, there, verse, chapter 35, verse 5 says, whoever is of a generous heart. Whoever is of a generous heart. And then if you go down to verse 21, it says, They came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting. What's going on here? Well, giving to this construction was not a mandate. That's what I want you to understand. Moses is not saying, again, you have to give a certain amount, you've got to give certain things. No, he's saying, whatever the Lord's doing in your heart, as he's stirring your heart, you give graciously. What is grace? Grace is something that's given that's not obligated. God is a gracious giver. Now, how did God give us grace, give to us graciously. Well, he gave to us in his son, Jesus Christ. The only thing God was obligated to do when God, the son came to this earth was bring judgment against our sin. That's the only thing God was obligated to do. His righteousness, his holiness demanded that this wrath against sin demanded that. And that's exactly what God did. But he did something also. He graciously gave himself in place of you and I to pay the penalty for that sin so that we could be forgiven. God is a giver. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Gracious giving is that overflow from our lives as we understand all that God has done to us and for us and in Christ, and now that is graciously flowing back out. So as we're conformed more and more into the image of the Lord Jesus his gracious giving becomes our gracious giving. His vision begets the venture of gracious giving. There's a third thing I want you to see. When your hearts are moved and stirred by vision, you give sacrificially. Look at verse 25 in chapter 35. 
Look what happens in these men and women. It says, every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair, and the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering. What's happening here is the people of Israel sacrifice for the construction of the tabernacle. Moses here is calling them to participate in this free will offering. Free will means it wasn't a mandatory thing. They were free to choose. It's not mandatory. It's a choice. They were free to do what they wanted to do in response to God's stirring of their hearts. But I believe when God begins to stir our hearts, we should follow that stirring. I think it would be sin for them in this text to hear and to sense God stirring them to do something and say, no, I will not do that. And that's exactly what they didn't do. They sacrificed what the Lord had put upon their hearts to give to this construction of the tabernacle. They responded by giving sacrificially. And how did they give? What did they give? Well, they gave expensive yarns. And fabrics. The Bible tells us they gave gold and silver. They gave acacia wood and precious stones. They gave spices and oils. They gave high dollar items to this work. Big question is, where did a bunch of slaves get this, this kind of luxury and high dollar items? They got it from Egypt. If you know the story is they were cast out of Egypt after that 10th plague. God caused them to plunder Egypt. They, they walked out of that country And God had already resourced them for exactly what they were going to build in the wilderness. Tabernacle. All the gold, all the silver, all the fabrics, all the skins, all the wood, all the oil, all the things they needed, the precious stones for the ephod and the breastpiece, all of that God had given to them. He's that kind of giver. He doesn't call us to give in a way he's not already given to us. And you're sitting there thinking, phew good. I don't have anything, so the Lord's not going to ask me to give. I beg to differ. You may not think you have anything, but you do. Uh, I, I think Mark joked to this uh, a week or so ago. We were talking, and he's, he, he said the old preacher joke, I got good news and bad news. The good news is um, God's going to give us what we need. The bad news is, is this, it's still in your pocket. You need to give it. You know, I kind of messed that up a little bit, but you get the gist of what that old joke is. So we just need to put our yes on the table and give sacrificially whatever the Lord stirs our hearts to do. When we are conformed into his image, sacrifice becomes something we want to do for the vision he's placed in our hearts. Fourth thing I want you to see is they gave miraculously. They gave miraculously. I don't think that we always believe that God can or will do the miraculous through our obedience. Am I the only one there? Anyone willing to testify and say, you know, sometimes I know I'm supposed to do something. I know that God can and will do the impossible, but I just have a hard time believing him. Am I the only one that believes that at times? Or or that's true of me at times? I don't think so. I think all of us struggle with this on some level. Go back with me three years ago. How many in our church believed that he would meet or exceed our New Day pledges over three years? 
I'm the one that led the charge, us and the elders. I, I was the mouthpiece of this whole thing. I saw the pledges, and I'm thinking, 727 is a lot of money. I know God can. I just don't know God will. That's kind of my sentiment there. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to step out in faith. Karen and I pledged amount that was uh, lofty. Let's just say that. Lofty for us as a family. But I can tell you today, God's been faithful to that. If we have not yet met it, I think we're like a couple hundred dollars away. I don't know if she does the bill, so I don't know if she's pledged or given to the pledge. I'll have to exercise my husbandly authority here this afternoon and get the answer there. I'm joking, of course. Um, love you. <laughs> Appreciate that. God's been good to us. He's helped us to meet our pledge, fulfill our pledge. But I'll be honest, three years ago, seeing that number, I'm thinking, it's going to be hard to get there. It's going to be hard to get there. And then right off the bat, bam, first year, we're like at 40% of all the pledges given. We're blowing everything out of the water. The consultant that we use is sitting here calling us up on the phone saying, you're in great shape. I mean, God is doing marvelous and wonderful things in your church. You ought to be excited about this. And I'm sitting here thinking, this is incredible. And then it slowed, and, and yet we had uh, faithfulness there this last year that kind of got us across the line, but not just across the line. We're more than $50,000 over the pledge amount. To God be the glory for that. We ought to get excited about that sort of stuff. It's miraculous. It's what we see in chapter 36. Look at verse 3. They received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning. I would love to see the day we show up for the, at the office and they're like sitting, you're just sitting there. Uh, I got to give today. That would be awesome. Just funny pastor dreaming stuff. Verse 4, so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, hey, the people are bringing much more than enough for doing the, the, the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses commands them, hey, stop bringing the stuff. That's the James Taylor version of this. Stop it. We don't need any more. It's excess at this point. God has been faithful. God has been good. The Hebrews here were so stirred in their hearts to give generously and graciously and sacrificially that they brought their offerings every morning. And what happened is their giving turned into a miracle. God did it. God did it. They didn't do it. God did it. What's the point God wants us to see from this verse, these verses this morning? Here's what I think he wants us to see. He wants you to understand that our giving is not about our abilities, but it's about his abilities not about you it's about him and when we say yes to a vision he stirred in our heart we're, we're free to just kind of be on the journey he takes us and it may have some winding roads it may be uphill and downhill but when it all is said and done at the end of the journey he's done it it's for his glory and it's not for yours it may exceed your expectation probably will it might not you might have outdreamed the lord perhaps i don't know if that's possible but it's going to be exactly what the Lord wants. We just need to put our yes on the table and be willing to go on. God's the one who resources us. He's the one who is the financier. If we'll just put our yes there, there's absolutely no limit to what the Lord can and will do in us and through us. So as believers being conformed more and more into the image of the Lord, we trust the Lord will multiply what we give to his kingdom. He's going to multiply it. 
His vision begets the venture of seeing their miraculous through our giving. I hope you, what you've heard this morning from me, what you've felt as we've talked about this this morning, is that God is good. Amen? God is good. I mean, in creation, he declares good, good, good. He comes to the creation of humanity, he says it's very good. I want you to know in your life, God has been very good to you. And as a church for 175 years, we've experienced the very goodness of God. And I believe it will continue as we walk in faithfulness to him. Over these last 175 years, we've been able to preach the gospel. We've been able to make disciples here and there. We've been able to plant churches. We've been able to raise up and send out missionaries. We've been able to support missionaries through our International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. We've been able to serve our community all because of God's goodness, because we have followed his heart, and it's not over. Just because we celebrated 175 years this year, we're not saying, whew, that was a great run. It's over now. No, we're just getting, we're just getting started as a church. So Vision 2024 is about enriching our ministry offerings. We want to be able to do more to disciple people in our community, starting more small groups on and off campus, doing more in the, air, in the arena of just our ministries here locally. Vision 2024 is about expanding our Acts 1-8 strategy. We want to be uh, witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we want to put more dollars into church planning. Literally, as I, sometimes as I meet with church planners and I look at what we have budgeted for it, I'll be honest, I'm a little bit embarrassed by it. We give 6000 above or budgeted $6,000 for missions and church planning. We split that between our missionaries in South Asia and our church planner now in Blacksburg, Virginia. So it's 3000 for each of those. We want to do more than that. And you're going to see that vision unfold over the next few Sundays of what that would look like for us as a local church. I just want you to know right, right now on the front end, it is God-sized in that arena. And it needs to be. Vision 2024 is about enhancing our campus. We want to continue to make improvements to, to bring our campus and facilities up to modern uh, standards where they need to be. We especially want to do this in the area of our children's ministry that will be our whole bottom level uh, after this renovation. Vision 2024 is about establishing margin for future ministry. You see, this is what happens when you do the things that we've been doing over the last three years. It costs money. It's expensive. Who would have thought 2020 would have happened with COVID and every construction uh, price known to man would skyrocket? Who would have been able to foresee that? Well, we wouldn't have, but God already knew. And he's already put the plan in there. Yes, did our building cost a lot more than we anticipated? It did. We did a cost plus type thing. So whatever the prices are at that moment, it's what you pay. And so we paid about 200000 or so more dollars than we anticipated there. And so it blew the budget, if you will. But it's no surprise to our God. As we do the renovation, as we do all of the things that we want to do in the area of ministries, it requires money. It's expensive. We would prefer not to be strapped to a banknote for the next couple decades. Instead, we'd rather pay off debt as quickly as possible so that we don't pay as much in interest, creating margin for greater ministry in the future. So between now and November 21st, you're going to hear a whole lot more about this vision 2024. My prayer is that like the Hebrews in Exodus, what you will allow the Lord to do is stir your heart. God, what do you want to say to me? 
how do I play a part in what you're doing with your church? I would also add a couple of questions just for you to ask yourself. What kind of giver am I? You know, the heart thing here is about giving. What kind of giver are you? Maybe you're a follower of Jesus, just not much of a giver. You need to grow in that image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't tithe at all. We don't really need to talk about above and beyond the budget tithe giving if you're not tithing. I would encourage you as a follower of Jesus Christ, begin right there. I said it earlier, it's entry-level giving. It's, it's stewardship 101. I told a little small group of people about a week ago, we were talking about some of these things, and, and I just said, you may argue with me about this, that, that tithing is not new covenant type stuff. I said, we can have that conversation, and I believe you'll lose that conversation because I firmly believe it's entry-level giving. It was never negated in the new covenant through Jesus. We need to start there. I would encourage you this morning, begin to be a tither, be a giver, Give your time, give your talent, serve. Don't just come and soak on Sundays, but give your time and talent to the work God is doing here through this church. Give generously, give graciously, give sacrificially, give miraculously. This morning, again, if you are a first-time guest, maybe you're sitting here and you're not a follower of Jesus even, um, what we're talking about is really, again, not so much about money, but it's about your heart. God doesn't want your money. The Bible tells us he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need your five dollars, okay? He, he, he owns everything. It's all his. It's kind of like when my kids uh, come around, they're like, that's mine. She took my thing. I'm like, first of all, it's not yours. It's mine. It's my house, right? Any dad act like that? I'm sovereign over this house. <laughs> that's the way the Lord acts in your life. It's not your treasure. It's his, and he lets you play with it. That's a good statement. Somebody write that down for me. That's good. I got like three original statements in my life. That's like number three. It's about your heart. And this morning, if you're not in a relationship with Jesus Christ, God doesn't need your money. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. He died on the cross not for your bank account. He died on the cross to pay your sin debt so he could have your heart. 